This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This episode of Bookmarked is brought to you by audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash bookstacked. That's audibletrial.com slash bookstacked. Hey everyone, a quick note before we begin the episode. At the end of this show, we pledge to donate our September earnings to a specific cause. I'm going to tweak that donation a little bit. We're going to donate our September earnings and October earnings. This episode was originally supposed to come out in September, but I'm clearly running behind. So because of that, we're going to do two months instead of one month. Okay, that's all for me. Enjoy the show. You're listening to Bookmark, a young adult book podcast brought to you by Bookstacked.com. This is episode 39, and today we're finally talking Stephanie Meyer's Midnight Sun. We've got that coming up, so stay with us. Welcome everyone to Bookmarked. It's been a while since we've last met, but we're excited to talk today about Midnight Sun. Most of us here have read it. Michael uh, has not finished it, but he had some thoughts and he wanted to share with us. So uh, it's definitely been a nostalgic time lately with Hunger Games earlier in the year and then and now with Twilight suddenly having its resurgence. So before we dive into that, let's go ahead and introduce everybody. I already mentioned Michael. Hi. Hello. And we also have Brigitte. Hi. And for the first time ever, we have Chelsea. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> Good. So Chelsea, you have been on the Bookstack team now for... Two months? Yeah. Okay, I wasn't sure if it was two or three. It hasn't been very long. Uh, Not two. But you've been wonderful to have, and we're so excited to have you here with us today. I think when you first emailed us to apply for the Bookstack team, you mentioned how excited you were for Midnight Sun. Yeah, definitely. No, I was very excited for Midnight Sun. Um, I like made a Twitter account to like, that was my first tweet. I was like, Midnight Sun's coming when it finally was announced. Yeah, I am a 25 year old. I live in New York City and Manhattan, which is usually very exciting. Nowadays, it's kind of bizarre, but it works. And um, I work in documentary film, the accounting side of that. But I love reading and especially YA books. And yeah, I'm just really excited to, to talk more about them. Uh, we're excited to have you, Chelsea, and yeah, we're excited to talk about Midnight Sun. One thing I want to say is if you like the show, please subscribe and leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. Wanted to just say thank you to all the people who have been doing that lately. We have I have noticed that there have been more reviews and ratings in Apple Podcasts, and we're just so grateful for the time you've taken to do that. It really means a lot to us. It's good to know that 
there are people actually listening <laughs> to the show. And it helps other people find our show as well. There was one really kind review that I actually wanted to read. It says, I'm a YA fantasy author, and I love the perspective these avid readers put on the industry. Their thoughts are great to take into consideration as I develop new stories. I've learned that constant study and listening to fans makes for much improved writing skills, and this podcast is a blast to listen to. So again, thank you so much for leaving that kind review. really means a lot. We're going to jump into our regular segment, What Are You Reading? And Chelsea, it's her first time, but she's graciously agreed to fill this slot. Chelsea, why don't you tell us a bit about what you've been reading lately? Yeah, so last night I just finished uh, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, the Hunger Games prequel. And I'm kind of like a moderate Hunger Games fan. I definitely read them all really quickly when they first came out when I was in high school and definitely saw all the movies. But then I kind of fell away and was like, yeah, those were good, but kind of moving on. Um, I just rereading it felt so like you just immediately are back in that world. And that was really fun. And it also reminded me why those books are so good, because she like ends every chapter like on the perfect cliffhanger where like you have to keep reading. Like you can't you can't stop. You have to read like two pages after a chapter starts and then you can close the book. But also just I think spoilers, but that ending is very intense and not what I expected and also kind of a little spooky. I ended finished reading at like midnight and was like alone in my apartment and was like, this is all right. I'm going to like tiptoe to the bathroom and turn on all the lights. This will be fun. But yeah, I really enjoyed the book. And I think even if you were think you were kind of over the Hunger Games and then moved on, definitely if you liked those books, I would say definitely give that a look and, and see if you're interested. Obviously, we did an entire episode about this book, uh, so it's neat to hear your thoughts on it after the fact. I've found myself liking it even more as time has gone by. Like when I think back on it, it was so interesting and a really insightful take on President Snow. So yeah, for sure. Obviously, like the big book of the year and that and Midnight Sun. If you've been listening to the show for a long time, you'll know that anytime we mention Twilight, we get technical difficulties. So here's to hoping that this entire episode... Everyone, everyone touch wood. (laughs) Here's to hoping that this episode doesn't go down the drain because it's all about Twilight and Midnight Sun. Let's go ahead and set the stage here. There are four of us. I read Midnight Sun, Chelsea read Midnight Sun, Brigitte read Midnight Sun, and like I mentioned before, Michael didn't. Well, he started, but he didn't finish. So I think I'm going to go ahead and just ask right off the bat, Michael, why did you not finish Midnight Sun? I've had such a weird experience with Midnight Sun. I feel like all I've done since it was announced is write articles about it for Bookstacked. Like... I'm still writing articles. My next spoiler alert, my next article is going to be also about Midnight Sun, but I just couldn't read it. Like I got to, I think I got to page 140 and I just looked at it and I just didn't take in any of the words and I just thought, I'm, I'm finished. Like I've, I've done my bit. I've read enough. Like I think we can all be honest and say that Twilight isn't the best book that's ever been written and Edward was also not the best part of it. So I don't know why I had deluded myself into thinking that Edward's perspective of Twilight was going to be this revolutionary book. Apologies to all the Twihards. <laughs> well, that was... Yeah, yeah, sorry. I didn't... 
when I started that sentence, I didn't mean it to go in the direction that it did. But my thoughts just came out. So you can edit as much of that out as you want. (laughs) (laughs) It took a very dark turn. Well, I don't think us three felt quite that same way. I I just wanted to ask that question because I did notice, speaking of Ballad and Songbirds and Snakes, I feel like there was an opposite effect with Midnight Sun, at least within the Bookstack team. Uh, I feel like leading up to Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, a lot of us were very reserved and unsure if we wanted to read the book. And then once it came out, everybody got it and was reading it and talking about it. And then Midnight Sun, I felt like there was excitement for that book. And then once it came out, uh, only a few of us ended up reading it, which was really interesting. So I was just kind of curious to get another person's take on it. But yeah, I think that's fair. Totally. Yeah, also, uh, I'll just want to go back on myself a little bit. I don't think it was, like, terribly bad. I just don't think it was this, the kind of thing for me. Like this article that I'm talking about that I've got coming up, is talking a lot about quality versus entertainment. So it's not so much that I think it was like a terribly written bad book. I just it just didn't click with me. So I just I just want to rescind my earlier comment. Well one of the things I want to do for us who have read it, I'd like to just do a quick round and kind of on a five star scale, what rating would you give this book? Uh so I think I'll go ahead and kick us off. I think I would give it like a three and a half, which is kind of approaching good in my mind. Um, I didn't think it was terrible. It wasn't my favorite thing I've read in the world, but I still really enjoyed it, especially the nostalgia of it. I actually found myself re-watching the Twilight movies after I finished reading it, which I hadn't done in a decade. I, I do agree. I think now that I'm older, I can see its flaws a lot more than I did when I was younger. But overall, I would say it was a good experience. I enjoyed it and had a lot of fun reading it. Yeah, I would also say probably I do think it's hard because it's like there's the fa- there's the book itself and then there's everything that's attached to it with this book. And so it's like the book itself I'd probably put around a three, but that, that gets bumped up to like a four based on everything else that kind of came along with it because I did really enjoy like going back into the world and revisiting these characters and Especially because with this book, you get like a lot of characters' perspective because you can read minds and you get all of that too. Um, and so I really enjoyed that piece. And I also, I rewatched all the movies and I re, I listened to the audiobook of Twilight. So I reread Twilight right before I read Midnight Sun. And that like month long experience of all those things was really fun, especially now when we're sort of all home and spending time at home having some like a project like that was really nice especially in a world I already knew I liked but I agree too that when I was a 13 year old girl some of those things were like oh that's so romantic and now as like a 25 year old I'm like wow he really should not have done that that was a really poor choice we should not be teaching children that that's a good idea so yeah I would say somewhere between a three and a four but I did really enjoy it and then the reason I saved Brigitte for last is because you actually wrote Bookstack's official review of Midnight Sun. Uh, So why don't you share with us your thoughts on it? I rated it three and a half stars. I really enjoyed certain aspects of it. Uh, The most important one was the writing. I think she's a very good writer. And I liked seeing how she didn't make the scenes where there were Bella and Edward together repetitive. 
Uh, other than that, there are certain obviously problematic aspects, like Chelsea mentioned, where when I was 13, I thought this was the best thing ever, and now I'm like, oh, okay, this is not good. <laughs> I don't actually have my copy on me because I'm in between moves, so my copy's back in Arizona. I'm currently in Utah. But I agree with what you said. She's a good writer. And I think there are a lot of people over the years who have really put down her writing skill and talent, and I just think it's totally unfair and uncalled for. I think that's probably a little bit wrapped in with some of the misogyny that has existed around the the Twilight franchise. Um, Not from the Twilight franchise, but reactions to it. But there were for sure some moments, there was like one little bit in particular, I was just like, holy crap, that that was so beautifully written, so well done, and I wish I had my book on me so I could actually reference it. Uh, but yeah, I totally agree. I think she's a very good writer, and yeah, we, we can dive into all of that. That that would be one of my takeaways, I guess, uh, but that's not my main takeaway from this book. Uh, one of the things I asked everyone to do, except Michael, because he ended up joining in last second, <laughs> Um I asked everyone to do is kind of come up with a takeaway or something that really stuck out to you as you read this book, and we would go ahead and discuss that for the episode. So much of Twilight is about her not knowing how he feels. And this was something I saw in an interview where Stephanie Meyer was saying that she realized that Edward doesn't say I love you until like after they've met James. Like it's so far in the book. And she said when she was writing Midnight Sun, she wanted to put it sooner because she was like, why hasn't he said this yet? And she had trapped herself in her own, like, what she had created already. And I think that was something that really stood out to me about this book, is we did get a little bit of a sense of that, A, Edward was obsessed with Bella for a very long time, like, for basically the entire book. And he perceived that obsession as loving her for pretty much the entire book. I feel like, to some extent, the vampire world of Twilight love at first sight is a very real thing. And I feel like we kind of got that with Edward and Bella too, where he was like her chocolate eyes and there's no like continuation or like process of falling in love. It's just like, bam, it's happened. Speaking of his, I mean, the fact that we get his perspective uh, of Bella is is super interesting. And one of the things I noticed just kind of speaking more to that point is I think I liked Bella more than I used to reading through his perspective. I I honestly don't remember my exact thoughts when I first read Twilight, which was, when was that, 2006 or 7? I think 2006, if I'm remembering correctly. But I don't remember, like, feeling so... I don't know what the right word is. I, I just kind of, like, loved her in this book. And I guess it's because you're getting Edward's perspective, right? And he loves her. So obviously those same thoughts are going through your mind as you're reading his his inner monologue and everything. But there was just something about her this time around. I never hated her. I never disliked her. I never thought she was bad. But I really felt like, oh, she is a good person. The the little things, and I it's been so long since I've read the first book. I don't remember if all the little things she does for her friends to kind of uh, cheer them up and and make them happy, uh, those things really stuck out even more this time around, I think, because Edward was noticing them so much. So I really appreciated how it sort of recasted her in my head. Yeah, I thought that was interesting, too, especially because a lot of those things weren't in Twilight. There were, like, more specific instances of Bella is a good person. Here, let me show you. I also think in Twilight, because it's from her per- point of view she's also just like very self-deprecating like she really is not 
she doesn't go easy on herself. Like she really judges herself for things that I think like a 16, 17 year old might, but in like hindsight is like, yeah, it's really not that big of a deal. And so I think Edward doesn't have that perspective. He's only seeing the good and that definitely helps. Yeah, I agree with both of you guys. And I mentioned this in my review. Bella just seems happier in Midnight Sun. She's a lot more uh, almost effervescent uh, as a personality. She's She comes off as almost spontaneous. And as you mentioned, Chelsea, there isn't this kind of veneer of um, self-deprecation that was present through Twilight and then just goes on until I think about midway through Eclipse, maybe even the beginning of Breaking Dawn. So I I don't know, she felt, I haven't read the book in a while, the first book, but she felt like an entirely new character and a much more enjoyable one. On the other hand, I felt like I better understood why Edward thought himself as a monster in this book than than the previous one, and it's no mystery why he does in in the original book. Like, he's pretty clear, but you really see sort of like, I don't know, he, I, he felt very tortured in in this book, and I guess in that sense a little self-deprecating as well. Um, it's just kind of interesting how, depending on who the narrator is, you, you kind of get that sense from them, so... All right, well, we definitely have more to talk about. I'm going to go ahead and cut to a commercial break. We'll be right back after we hear a word from our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Looking for something to listen to after this podcast is over? We always suggest reading a book. And what better way to consume books than with Audible? In the subway or in the car, when you're mowing the lawn or doing dishes, it doesn't matter where you are or what you're doing. You can always catch up on your TBR list with an audiobook. And for listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download when you sign up for a 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash bookstacked. Audible selections includes books like Victoria Aveyard's Red Queen series and Tomi Ediemi's Children of Blood and Bone. Again, go to audibletrial.com slash bookstack for your free audiobook. And don't forget that even if you quit the trial, you get to keep the book. Okay, so continuing with this conversation, I think this kind of, I'm going to go ahead and share my takeaway. And I think this kind of plays into Chelsea's a bit. Kind of on a broader, more general scale, I found that being able to read the story from Edward's point of view changed the way I thought about a lot of different characters. And I remember certain things from the first book. Like, I remember Jessica being kind of a brat. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's the right word. Kind of, kind of an awful friend or a very judgmental friend at, at the very least. But you really see it in full force in this book. And, and you, I remember Mike being very show-offish as well. But again, you, you, it's like to a completely different degree here. And I think 
it's because you're actually able to read their minds. And my, my perspective of them really changed. Like they, in my mind, Bella's friends are like way worse than I ever thought that they actually were. And I don't, I'm not entirely sure what to make of that. What, did you guys get the same sense as you were reading the book? I did think that they were unnecessarily uh, catty. They, before James comes in, they almost come off as the villain of the book. And you're talking about, what, 16, 17-year-old teenagers? Versus a, what, how old is Edward? 100 and something years old at that point? In the first book, from Bella's point of view, they come off as teenagers. But Edward almost makes it sinister. I certainly like them better in Twilight than I did in Midnight Sun. Yeah, I think, too, what you said about how they became the villains is really clear of the fact that Twilight, the book, not a whole lot happens until James shows up, which is like 300, 400 pages in. So there's like a huge chunk of that book that is literally just these two people like, having conversations and like there's that one time in Port Angeles where bad stuff happens but there isn't much conflict besides like a will they won't they get together and in both books it's so clear that the person narrating wants that to happen that it's like okay obviously they're going to get together so I feel like the kids are really used as a way to make it look like there's something standing in the way of the two of them and I kind of felt that with Rosalie too we were able to read her mind and she became such a villain to a point that felt unrealistic. Like I understand why she was frustrated. I think she has a good reason for being frustrated, but she just throughout the story was antagonistic towards Bella, even to the point where like she wouldn't help save Bella's human life, which I was like, doesn't that defeat everything you've told me already that she's trying to preserve humanity. And so I think to some extent there is with the reading of the minds element, she, Stephanie Meyer maybe wanted a bit more conflict than there was in this story of just like these two people having conversations that we already know how they're going to turn out and what's going to happen. So adding in, adding in a bit more where she could. I, I, it really shows you a lot how the different perspective can change the way you think of certain characters. Um, and I think the added, the memory stuff for sure, just really, or not the memory stuff, the, the fact that he can read minds is what especially makes that super potent in Midnight Sun. I had actually, because it had been so long since I had read Twilight, I had actually forgotten that he could read minds until I started reading it. And I was like, oh yeah, they all have like their little powers and abilities. Um, something connected to that, though, is I really appreciated his relationship with Alice even more, which again is very present in the original books. This isn't anything new. And you see it from Bella's perspective that he can like picture her visions and everything and, and relate them to other individuals. But it was awesome being able to actually see that in real time. It kind of explained why those two are so close with each other and, and why they have that bond. I, I thought that was really neat. Yeah, I thought with the exception of Rosalie, I think all the insight we got into the Cullen family was really nice. We only had seen that we kind of assumed things based on what Bella had seen as an outsider, but I think this book also really made me love Emmett a lot more, like seeing how much he stood by Edward, even when the situations were absolutely insane, or um, 
like Esme, who I don't think ever really got like enough to do in any of the books. You really saw like how much she truly cared about these people as her children. And that all came out of the fact that Edward could like read their minds and see what they were really thinking. And I really appreciated that in this book. But yeah, Alice's power in that way just made it a lot cooler, I think. What about you, Brigitte? What what stuck out to you as you're reading Midnight Sun? Well, apart from the writing, which was excellent, I just think Edward needs to chill. Before he meets Bella and actually gets to know her, he spends a lot of the time saying, oh, you know, I'm a vampire, I'm above these humans, especially. And then he meets Bella and he's like, I'm above these human males. And then he just experiences pretty much the same thing they do. And given that he was stuck at uh, seven, he was turned at 17, he's really not that better than they are. So, I don't know, I would have liked if he'd taken a step back and realized that he is really not above humanity. And uh, when he when he takes the time to describe just how disgusting we are as a species, because we're not, not, we're not symmetrical, we're not graceful, we're not beautiful, there's a lot of it. He ends up falling in love with a human, so you know, just spare me, I don't know. I do wonder if that he has that perception because of the mind reading. Uh, obviously, we've, we've just spent a lot of time talking about how it's changed our perspective of certain characters. I think, I imagine he feels that way because he can see the good in people, but he can also see the bad in people. And those things are sort of amplified by the fact that he can, by, by the fact that you can read their thoughts and their minds. I also did think it was interesting how, like, Jacob was the one human male he, like, wasn't really worried about. He was like, oh, he's a cute kid. He seems fun. I was like, what's happening? (laughs) Like, that's not what I expected. Like, he was so unconcerned about the fact that Jacob was thinking about Bella that way after everything he had been through with, like, Mike and the other guys. And I was like, why? I I don't know. I loved how when Jacob's first mentioned, he's just, like, almost a footnote. Like, he's hardly there. Edward's not paying any attention to him. The, the fact that you bring Jacob up, though, opens up a little bit something I wanted to, to touch on. And this wasn't one of my takeaways, but just this is more in regards to some of the conversation that's been taking place around Twilight that is taking place and has always taken place around Twilight. Um, I got the sense that some people were hoping that Stephanie Meyer would sort of correct past wrongs in this book, if, if that's the right phrase. Obviously, there's a lot, there are a lot of criticisms that, and we, we've referenced some of them. There, there's the stalker stuff, which I don't think this book helped, um, when it came to the, to the stalker instance. But there's also like the treatment of the Quileute tribe, uh, the, the Native Americans in the book. They're, they're hardly in this book, but they all do play a larger role than the Twilight, than they do in the first Twilight book simply because Edward is able to reference the treaty and everything, so you kind of get some of that in a little bit earlier. But I don't think Stephanie Meyer at any point wanted to rewrite or change what she had originally done. I think I was actually surprised at how loyal she was to her original story. Uh, In some cases, this is almost like beat per beat, exactly the same as as the original Twilight book. And, And I'm not saying that she shouldn't have 
tried to correct some things. I think there's maybe that would have been the right thing for her to do, and I'm not saying that she shouldn't have. But I just don't think that was ever even on her radar when it was when it came to this book. I don't think it was something she was even considering. Um, and I know some people were disappointed by that. Yeah, I think on that that point, kind of one of the things that I was when I was reading it and the whole stalker thing, like where she made absolutely no effort to make Edward less of a stalker. Is she going to handle this? Uh, the Native American tribe stuff. Is she going to change that? And even if she wasn't going to change it in the book, like in the narrative, like could she have made any more effort? Obviously, I don't, I don't know because I haven't read it. But was there like any attempt to, even if the characters feel certain ways about the situation, was there any attempt to make it so that it was clear that she thought differently? Or if you kind of know what I mean. When it comes up, uh, the thing about the whole Quillute thing is that if you haven't read Twilight in years, or if you've completely forgotten about them, you wouldn't necessarily know because it's only vaguely mentioned in Midnight Sun. I found that quite interesting on her part. I don't even think the word wolves or werewolves is mentioned at all. But um, there is a, a scene where Edward remembers that Carlisle called Jacob Black to tell him that they're moving back to Forks. And then he describes the um, terror that Jacob Black had and also when Edward himself comes to meet Jacob Black. But they don't really delve into the um, history or the legends. So as Saul said, I don't think it was even on her mind to correct it. Yeah, I think... What was interesting about the portrayal in this is that the only two Quileutes you really see are Jacob and then his father. And Jacob is clearly, as he was in Twilight, like, does not believe this at all, thinks it's a superstition, thinks his dad is being ridiculous. But you get a little bit more with Billy Black, where he is genuinely scared of these things. And you kind of get this sense from Edward and then their surrounding story where, like, Charlie also doesn't take it seriously and thinks Billy's being... He, he like, at one point is like, Billy's being prejudiced against Carlisle? And I was like, whoa there, stop, no, no, back up. Um, I will say about the Edward stalking piece, I think the best that she was kind of willing to do is admit that Edward knew it was wrong. Edward calls it, like is criticizing himself a lot for stalking Bella, but he doesn't change behavior. So it's like, eh, can you, do you really get points for at least knowing what you're doing is not great? Probably not. You should probably actually stop whatever the bad behavior is you're doing. But I do think she didn't shy away from it. Like, she didn't try to have him rationalize or justify. He was just like, I'm stalking her because I'm obsessed with her. And I was like, that's a choice to just come right out and say it like that. But no, that's a good point. And I think, Brigitte, you mentioned that Carlisle was talking to Jacob Black, but I'm just, I think he was talking to Billy Black. I just need to put that out there because I'm yeah, sure a I listener will have caught on. <laughs> um, but no, we totally knew what you're saying. I, I just think it, it's unfortunate that Stephanie Meyer really took the Quileute culture and spun it into this werewolf story to begin with. And I say that knowing that that's like 50% of the Twilight series. Uh, they're integral to the story, and 
And so when I say that, you're kind of like, okay, well then what would she, what would the conflict have had been? Um, but she could have maybe come. I'm, I'm sure there are a million ways you can introduce werewolves to the story uh, without imposing your your fiction on on real life uh, indigenous people. And then, so it's unfortunate that that happened at all. But when it, when it comes to her retelling the story, I think some people were hoping she'd take that out altogether, or maybe even the stalking stuff. But in order for that to have happened, she would have really had to be completely rewriting the story and changing canon. And that's just kind of what I, my main point was. I, I don't think she was looking to do that. I think she was looking to write, write Twilight just from a different character's perspective. And she really accomplishes doing that. Now, is that the right choice? Like, could this have been an opportunity for her to maybe have done a sort of alternate reality where those problematic aspects are, are removed? Yeah. Like she's, has creative control and she could have done that. And maybe we would be, maybe the book would be better for it. But I was just wondering if she was, if she had addressed it, like kind of even subtly through the text. But. Oh yeah, she, she doesn't. But I think it's important to have those conversations, especially when you're talking about like, indigenous people and the Quileute tribe got a lot of attention, uh, because of Twilight and you saw in some cases uh, the Forks area, I imagine it's died down a little bit, but I'm sure they still get a decent amount of tourism uh, related to Twilight in the area. And for sure back in the heyday, it was huge. A lot of people visiting that area. And there were like instances of camera crews and stuff going onto their land without bothering to, to speak to anyone or get a permit or anything. Uh, in a lot of ways, they were just kind of exploited. <laughs> like I, I think that's the best word uh, the only proper word to use there. And I don't think Stephanie Meyer, obviously she had no idea this book was going to be huge. I, I think I've said on the show before, within the month of the first book coming out, Stephanie Meyer visited my junior high school. Uh, she was sister-in-laws with one of my, the teachers there. And we grew up, I, I grew up in the area that she lives in. And so um heard a lot about her and it was crazy. Honestly, uh, when I look back, it was crazy to see how huge Twilight became. Because for the longest time, it was just like my school. <laughs> and we were the only people talking about it. And I remember talking to other friends at different schools and stuff. Uh, they had never heard of Twilight. They had no idea what it was. But within a year or two, it was an international phenomenon. She obviously had no idea of the attention that she was bringing to that Native American tribe. But it is, it's also unfortunate that when it became apparent that this was going to be so huge, uh, that nothing was really done to try and rectify that or or correct that error. So I, I think it's important to talk about that stuff. I think it's important to be aware of those things. I don't know if anybody else has something to add on there. And I'm not trying to bash Stephanie. I like Stephanie a lot. And I think she has gone through a lot of unfair criticism, in, in my opinion. But there are some things that are definitely, that are definitely fair, <laughs> I think, to criticize and critique. And that would be one of them. When I was 13, I didn't understand why that was problematic. And no one was talking about it. Like, no one was explaining it to people my age. And now as an adult, I can find that and read it and much better understand it. But at the time, I didn't see where the issues were because it was so um, just a part of the story. Like, there was no criticism to it as part of the story. And so I think that's also a good reason to, even if she does continue to tell these stories in canon and keeps all the problematic elements, it's important to keep talking about them to remind people that they're there. 
And, like, this isn't just, like, a great love story with no issues. Like, there are some really specific points that do not work. Just kind of to wrap up, on a little bit of a higher note, <laughs> I think this is a series that really gets put down a lot. And, again, some of those criticisms are for sure valid, and we've just talked about them. Uh, but at the same time, I think sometimes Stephanie Meyer isn't given the credit that she deserves. For me, I'm always going to be grateful for what Stephanie Meyer did for YA. Young adult was the, that that as a as a real large massive category that exists in the literary world today. Uh, that didn't necessarily exist before before Harry Potter, before Twilight, and and maybe J.K. Rowling opened the door, but Stephanie Meyer walked through that door. The the I don't think it's any coincidence that a few with a handful of months after Breaking Dawn comes out, you have The Hunger Games uh, come out to great success. And for all the criticisms, and again, many valid, but for all the criticism that we give Twilight and characters like Bella, for example, I don't know if you would have like a Katniss Everdeen without, without a Bella Swan. And to that extent, I don't know if you would have a, a Triss Pryor and, and all of the other characters that follow, all these incredible female characters and these incredible stories. I don't think this industry would have existed if it hadn't have been for those early YA books and Twilight being key among them. So I'll always be grateful for that and also the community that has been created around books like Twilight. Um, one thing I want to mention before we go ahead and wrap up, uh, in regards to the Quileute tribe, something I saw a lot uh, as people were having these conversations again was that the Quileute tribe is actually trying to raise money. Uh, there's a fundraiser called Move to Higher Ground. If you've read the Twilight books, which I'm guessing you have if you're listening to this, you obviously know that they live on the Washington coast, which is a tsunami zone. Um, and one of the things that they're trying to do is relocate one of their tribal schools because it's in that, it's in that zone, which is obviously there's potential to be a lot of disaster there. Um, so I just kind of wanted to call attention to that. I'm going to put a link in the show notes. Uh, where you can donate for that cause. And also, we're going to be donating September's podcast revenue to that as well. Um, I would say all the revenue, we, or all the, uh, revenue is not the right word, all the earnings. Um, I would say all the earnings we get from this episode would go to, to that cause. Unfortunately, the way our system works, there's no way to know how much each individual episode is making. Uh, so instead, since this episode's coming out in September, just go ahead and donate all of our ad earnings from the podcast to the Move to Higher Ground fundraiser. Uh, I, I feel like, like I said, it's important to talk about these things, but it's also important to do something as well. Just wanted to mention that. The links will be in the show notes. Also in the show notes, a link to our Twitter. If you want to engage with us more, you can follow us. We're at BookmarkedYA. You can also follow Bookstacked, our website. Just look up Bookstacked on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. We're on all three of those platforms. I think we're also on Pinterest. I forgot. <laughs> we're also on Pinterest. Yeah, and if you want to follow me, my name is Saul. You can find me on Twitter at Saulmark. That's S-A-U-L-M-A-R-Q. Michael, where can people find you? You can get me on Instagram at the Michael Burns. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Book and the Bone. All one word. Yeah, I'm at Twi I'm on Twitter at Chelsea Regan 17. Awesome, I think that's right. 
Thank you. Okay. Uh, we know we didn't have an episode last month, but we're going to be getting back together to put our heads together and talk about uh, the, le- the rest of this year and also start talking about next year as well. So we're going to have more episodes coming to you uh, very soon. Until then, we will see you guys next time. Bye. 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 Bye.